Thank you. you. May be seated this morning. I'm going to invite you to open up your Bible to Exodus chapter number three as we are going to continue our series uh, on uh, the book of Exodus. I appreciate uh, Pastor Dave as he kicked off our series last week and uh, kind of had the overarching theme last week was that God, that God cares. And I am so grateful today to know that I serve a God that cares about me. And we, we spent some time this morning in prayer, and, and I'm thankful that, that God hears and answers prayer. And I'm ashamed of myself in, at times that I don't pray enough. I don't have enough urgency in my prayer. And maybe, as has already been mentioned, maybe I lack faith in my prayer. Are you grateful today that God cares for you? Amen. And I would be in just encouraged today if maybe you're here this morning and maybe this is the first time you've ever heard that God cares for you. Maybe it's the first time it just resonated with you that God cares that, that you would walk away this morning embraced in, in the fact and the truth of Scripture that, that God loves you and God cares for you. As I mentioned already, I, I got to spend the last two weeks in Kenya and, and I have been blessed to be there. This, this was my fifth trip to Kenya in the last 10 years, and, and so I've really uh, got to, to be able to see what God has done in 10 years and how God is blessed and, and how God is saved and how God is restored. And, and uh, so I just want to say again, thank you for allowing me to represent you as a church. Uh, the people of Kenya, specifically those churches that I got to be a part of, they absolutely love Hallmark. They know that you have invested a lot of prayers and a lot of resources and a lot of people into what God is doing there. And so uh, they, of course, want me to thank you for all that you have done for them and how you've blessed them. And, and so we, we got some amazing experiences. To uh, Last Saturday, we got to be a part of a church organization where I got to preach the charge to that church. They signed their constitution and bylaws. They voted their new pastor. The only pastor they've ever had for the last eight years, they voted uh, him to be their pastor, which I thought that might be odd if they didn't, but they did. And to watch those uh, Kenyans get an opportunity to vote and to have uh, local church authority and to vote in their pastor, and to vote for a deacon, and a treasurer, and a secretary. It was just awesome to be a part of that. Um, and then uh, last Sunday, uh, I know that they showed the video that I got to baptize a, a 90-year-old lady, and it just so happened that she walked, you know, we were, I, I don't know how much of the video they showed, but uh, we had, uh, last Sunday was, uh, we were part of a church that, it's only a few years old, if, and uh, they had one of the churches we helped start in 2011, there were some people in that community that were walking uh, quite a distance, and so they decided they wanted to start a church in their community. And so uh, last Sunday was the very first service that they were in their new building. And so it was really exciting to be a part of that. And so they had been uh, 28 people to get baptized, and so we ended the service, and, and, and the, the river was about a mile walk down from their church. And uh, it was on this bridge, and so you kind of had to make your way down there. And it just so happened that uh, as we were almost done baptizing, this uh, 90-year-old lady had finally made the one-mile walk down to the river, made her way down the ravine, and uh, she just happened to come to my side, and I got to help her into to the river and, and be a part of that baptism. And you guys got to see that last week. 
And that was pretty awesome, wasn't it? And, uh, I, and so I think it's an encouragement to you that when, when, when you give at Hallmark, that money goes all over the world. It saves lives at the Fort Worth Pregnancy Center right here in Fort Worth. And it saves 90-year-old ladies in Kenya who have the precious opportunity to hear the name of Jesus. All from right here. You should be blessed today if you're not that you get to be a part of that. And so I'm thankful for the opportunity to be here today. And to, uh, you'll hear some more stories over as they come out. Uh, I, I could sit here and tell you story after story, but I'll, I'll go on with our text. But in Exodus chapter 3, uh, let's catch up from where we were last week. Maybe you weren't here last Sunday, but in Exodus chapter 1, we see that uh, you know the nation of Israel has been in bondage for about 400 years at this point, and they've gotten really big, like 2.5 million people. And uh, the king, the pharaoh there, is a little worried that, that, that he's going to be overthrown from the inside of his own country by these Jewish Israelite people. And there's so many of them now. And so he goes to the two midwives there in chapter 1, and he asks them to, uh, if they're a male child is born, that they're supposed to kill that male child because he wants to stop the population of the Jewish nation. And those two women stand in the gap for these children that can't defend themselves. And what a day for us to think about that as today is this, the right to life Sunday or the sanctity of life Sunday. You realize 46 years ago in two days, on January 26, 22nd, 46 years ago, this nation changed. And we stopped fighting for the unborn child. And so we celebrate today uh, people like the Fort Worth Pregnancy Center and Shelly Lee, the CEO, she's here this morning. She'll be in the back. She would love to, if you want to volunteer with her. But there's a picture of this right here in Exodus chapter 1 as these two ladies decide they're going to fear God more than man. And it goes on later in the text to say that because of their willing, willingness to stand for that child who couldn't protect themselves, that God gave these midwives their own families, that he blessed them because they defended life. And, and we believe that God is the author of life. And that God is the one that's supposed to take life, not us, born or unborn, right? And I would, would just kind of double down on what Ben already said, that I'm thankful that no matter what my past is, God still forgives me. Aren't you thankful for that? And Moses is a testimony of that, right? So we see God uh, provided uh, a way for Moses. Moses was born there, and, and his mom, Jochebed, decides that she's going to hide him. But if you read the text there in, in chapter 2, she, he's three months old. And you know what three-month-old babies do, right? What do they do? They cry, and they cry. And they cry. And so she couldn't, she couldn't hide him any longer. And so she realized at some point that she cannot protect Moses anymore. And she trusts that God can protect Moses more than she can protect Moses. And at this time we're calling him Moses, but that wasn't his name yet. And so they put, she puts the little baby, three-month-old baby, into the weeds there in a basket. And just by chance, right, Pharaoh's daughter walks across and sees the baby and says, I want this baby for my own. And then Moses' sister Miriam was like, hey, you probably need someone to feed the baby, right? I just happen to know someone. And Pharaoh's daughter pays Jochebed to nurse her own son. God always does more than we could ask or imagine, doesn't he? I'm thankful for that. And so Jochebed has a crisis of belief again. 
So she's placed the baby in the, in the weeds at one point. She's gotten Moses back. Now he's probably three or four years of age, and what is she going to have to do again? Give the child back. And again, she's going to have to say, God, I, I trust you that you're going to protect. And then you skip ahead about 40 years right in chapter 2, and all of a sudden from verse 10 to 11 in chapter 2, there's like 40-year gap there, and Moses is now an adult, and, and he takes matters in his own hand, right? And he kills the Egyptian and then realizes everybody knows about it, so he flees into the wilderness. And then from chapter 2 to chapter 3, we have another 40-year window. And so in chapter 3, Moses, now 80 years of age, is just minding his own business, doing his own thing. And I wonder in, in the busyness of his life, whatever his life looked like as he was, we see here, tending to the flock, I wonder how much he thought about the nation of Israel. Remember 40 years earlier, he was going to deliver the nation of Israel and he was going to fight for their oppression and, and he, he murders someone and, and then that didn't work. Like anytime we rush God's plans, it doesn't work, does it? And he flees, and, and I, we don't have much commentary between chapter 2 and chapter 3. We just fast forward 40 years, and I wonder how often Moses thought of the nation of Israel because they were still in bondage. They still needed freedom. They still needed a deliverer. And as we sang that song this morning, and, and honestly, as I walked up here this morning, it hit me that, that sometimes I think we as Americans are like Moses, We've been delivered. We're not in bondage anymore. We have freedom. And I wonder how much we think about those who don't. Because we're, we're, it's pretty comfortable in here. Now, granted, some of you are hot and some of you are cold, and, and no one's just right. It just can't happen that way. But we have people we sit by every week. Probably have the same parking spot every week. We take the same route to church every week, and we're comfortable. And for 40 years, I, I wonder if Moses was that way. So he was fired up to deliver the nation of Israel at one point, not so much anymore. So God shows up. So let's, let's read chapter 3. We're going to read probably the first 12 or 15 verses here this morning. Exodus chapter 3, as Dave told you, Exodus simply means the way out, right? That's where we get our word exit. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, a priest of Midian, and he led the flock of the back of the desert and came to Horah, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush does not burn, or why is it not consumed? Verse 4, so when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Here's, here's a great, uh, just a bonus point for you this morning. If you hear God call your name, what should you probably do? It's not, this is not a trick question. <laughs> answer, okay, answer. It's not that difficult, right? So Moses answers here. I am. Verse 5, then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look upon God. 
And the Lord said, I surely, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmaster, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Parasites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be assigned you. I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel, say to them, The God of our fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, Well, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And the story goes on. God says, I'm going to deliver the people. Not only am I going to deliver the people, the last verse in this chapter says that they're going to plunder the nation of Israel without a battle, without a war. God is going to deliver his people. And I just want to point out four things in this text this morning. We're going to try to go through it quickly this morning. But I want to point out four things that I think are very easy to pull out of this text, but I think they're also easy for us to apply to our own life today. Okay, so get your bulletin out this morning. Uh, if you have your, your tablet or your phone, you're on your version Bible app there, then take the notes there. Number one, God initiates and pursues. God initiates and pursues. This is a great truth of Scripture. So Moses is just minding his own business, tending the flock, and God shows up. Did Moses initiate this conversation? Yes or no? Did God initiate this conversation? Yes or no? Yes, he did. You don't have to answer this question, but I want you to think about this this morning. At the age of 17, I gave my life to Christ. Did God initiate the conversation with me, or did I initiate the conversation with him? Did I choose God, or did he choose me? See, God initiated. Did Abraham call out to God, and God chose him to be his people, to be the father of the nation of Israel? No. Abraham was worshiping the stars. And God said, Abraham, I choose you. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. God initiated the conversation with Abraham. God initiated the conversation with Moses to deliver his people. And here's what I want you to understand this morning, that God is initiating a conversation with you. God is pursuing a relationship with you. God wants a deeper relationship. Some of you have been in this church for 50 years, and can I be completely honest with you this morning? God wants a deeper relationship with you now than he did yesterday. Some of you, this is the first time you've ever walked into the doors of this church, and I'm going to tell you the exact same thing, that God is pursuing you, that God wants a relationship with you. Listen, think about that truth of Scripture for a moment. The God who spoke the worlds into existence, he loves you. And he's pursuing you. 
at the age of 17 when I finally gave up my pride and my rebellious spirit and said, God, I need Jesus. It wasn't because I was good. And you know what I realized at that moment? All this time, God was pursuing me. There were circumstances in my life that God was continually pursuing me. At the age of 14, I didn't want anything to do with God or church. And that's kind of a hard thing when your dad's the pastor. And you go to a Christian school. And I rebelled and I rebelled and I rebelled. I was reminded this morning as we, uh, the staff met for prayer meeting, I, I, as a 14-year-old kid, I stood before the judge and I pled guilty. And you know what that judge's name was? Lord. His last name was Lord. I'm not kidding. I stood before the Lord <laughs> at the age of 14. And it still didn't get my attention. But God was continually pursuing me. And this morning, maybe you've walked into the building and you don't even know why you're here. Somebody invited you and this is all new. And maybe you've been in this building every Sunday this year, right? This is the third one. And, and you're like, can, can I just, I just want to, I want to make sure you don't walk away this morning without saying no matter where you are on this journey that God is continually in pursuit of you. He's initiating this relationship. And if you've never said yes to Christ, stop. Realize that God is pursuing you and place your faith in Jesus. God initiates and God pursues. Number two there on your outline, God sees, he hears, and he knows. Look at verse number eight, or excuse me, verse number seven of our text. And the Lord said, I surely have seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. You should underline the word seen or highlight it. Then he goes on to say, I've heard their cry because their taskmaster. Again, I would encourage you to underline the word heard, for I know their sorrows. The implication here in these three words that God sees and God hears and God knows, the implication is what the overarching theme of last week's message was that Dave brought, that God cares. God it wouldn't be that big of a deal if God sees and God hears and God knows if he didn't care for you. But God does care for you. And think about the nation of Israel as they cry out to God. God says, I have heard their cries. The verse I read earlier, Psalms 56, verse 8 and 9. You number my wonderings. Think about that for a moment. God knows my steps. God knows my thoughts. It goes on, the psalmist says, you put my tears in your bottle. God, God collects my tears. That he cares that much for me. Some of you are sitting there this morning and you feel like you're all alone and nobody cares. The God who said, let there be light. He knows your steps. He sees your tears. He says, are they not in your book? Verse 9, this is Psalms 56. When I cry out to you, my enemies will, look, will turn back. This I know, and this is what he says in verse number 9, because God is for me. I'm so thankful that God is on my side. 
that he's continually pursuing me. He's continually initiating the conversation. And every time I step out of line, God is saying, hold on, John, get back over here. Step back into line. Focus, focus. Verse number eight leads us to point number three. Not only does God initiate and God pursue, not only does he see and hear and know, but look at what number eight says. Verse number eight, God speaking. So I have come down to deliver. God delivers. So again, it's another thing. It's, it's, it, you see the progression here. It's one thing if God sees and God hears and God knows. If he doesn't care, it doesn't really matter. But we, we understand that God sees and he hears and he knows and God cares. But not only does he care, he can do something about it. He can deliver us. He can deliver you. And, and again, as was mentioned last week, this, this picture of the bondage of the nation of Israel is a picture of sin and that they're enslaved by sin. They're enslaved by the nation of Israel, uh, the, the Egyptian people. Moses is a picture of Jesus Christ that he's going to come and God is going to use Moses to do what? To, to deliver his people out of bondage. For 400 years they've been in bondage. For 400 years they've been crying, God, do you hear? Do you care? Do you know? God says yes, and God sends a deliverer. And remember a few months ago when we started our series in Christmas, the Advent series, in Luke chapter 1, there's been 400 years of silence, 400 years of waiting. There's been a promise of a deliverer. There's been promise of someone who's going to show up and deliver their people and 400 years of waiting. And remember, Zacharias goes into the temple to pray, and God appears and breaks the 400 years of silence. And says, you're going to have a boy, and this boy is going to point people to Jesus to deliver. Six months later, the angel appears to Mary, and what does he say to Mary? You are going to give birth to the son, Emmanuel, God with us, who will deliver his people. And remember what Jesus said? John chapter 14, verse 6. He said, I am the what? The way. We think about Exodus. What does Exodus mean? The way out. Jesus is a picture of that. Jesus is a picture of he is the way out. He's the way out of what? Sin. Bondage. The Bible is very clear. The Bible says that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible also says in Romans 6.23, the wages or the punishment of my sin is death. But... The gift of God is eternal life. Through who? Jesus Christ. Just as Moses delivered the nation of, that, of Israel out of Egypt through the power of God, so Jesus came to deliver me and to deliver you out of the bondage and slavery of sin. John 3.16, most of us know that verse, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I pointed this out to you uh, on Christmas Eve, the first 12. So John 3.16, there's 25 words in John 3.16, the first 12. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten. So this first 12 words of John 3.16 are God's response to man. God so loved. You see in that verse, God initiates, God pursues, God sees, God hears, God knows, and God cares. That's not enough. He also delivers. 
The last 12, verse, the last 12 words of that, that verse that we all know, John 3.16, is man's response to God, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so you have 25, verse, 25 words in this verse. 12, God's response to man. 12, man's response to God. So how many words are missing here? Just the one. And that word is who? It's the Son. It's Jesus. God's, resp- God's response to man and our sin was what? Jesus. Our response to God for forgiveness of our sins is what? Jesus. Whoever calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. Aren't you thankful that God can deliver us from the bondage of sin? Just as he delivered the nation of Israel, and we're going to walk through that. We're going to see that in the next nine weeks or so. But what we want to see this morning is to realize that not only can God deliver the nation of Israel, not only does he initiate, not only does he pursue the nation of Israel, not only does he care and see and know and hear them, he does that for me. It's the same thing Dave told you last week, that God cares for the multitude, God cared for Moses, and God cares for for me. And he proved that by sending his son to die on the cross. Number four, God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. I'm so thankful for this. Look at verse number 11 in our text. Exodus 3, verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And what should I bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? I'm, you see what Moses is saying? Look, I'm, I'm a runaway. I'm a murderer. I have some... God, you may have forgotten 40 years ago. I kind of rushed your plan of deliverance. And I killed that Egyptian and buried him in the sand. I think you got the wrong guy. Verse 12. So he said, this is God's response. I will certainly be with you. This shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this very mountain. Can, can I just proclaim this morning that I'm very thankful that God uses ordinary people? When I think about who I am, you know, as a, as a 16-year-old kid, not wanting anything to do with church, I'll be completely honest, I thought most, no, I thought all church people were just fakes. And as a 17-year-old kid standing uh, and giving my life to Christ, three months later I find myself at Bible college, and I'd stand before my class, either public speaking or preaching workshop, and I would have 20 minutes worth of notes that would last at least 30 seconds in class. Most of the time, I was crying because I was scared to death. Now, the professors thought I just had a tender heart, and they gave me a good grade, but the truth was, (laughs) public speaking, I didn't want anything to do with it. And I think about my, my life over the last 18 months or so, or actually the last three months. About eight or nine weeks ago, I was standing in Mexico telling the same thing to 17 orphan kids. I told them that you have value. 
The, the scripture says, Jesus said that a bird doesn't fall, that God doesn't know. Then he says, you are of more value than many birds. Yeah. I stood there to these 17 orphan kids who are the lowest of the lowest. They had the least of the least, right? That's what scripture talked about. And who am I that I could stand there and tell them about Jesus? And last week, I helped a 90-year-old lady walk into the river. And I asked her the simple question, have you decided to follow Jesus? She said, yes. Who am I that I would get to do that? I'm the least of the least. I'm the ordinary. And my challenge for you today is that I think too many of us sit in idleness because we don't think we're good enough to be used. We have a past and we've messed up. Can I tell you the same truth that we've gone through in this text for the nation of Israel is true for you today? God has never stopped pursuing you. And I don't care if you've been in this church for five weeks or 50 years. God has a next step for you. God doesn't want any of us to stop growing in him. God continually pursues us. And what he asks in return is that we would continually pursue him. There's two questions on the bottom of your bulletin this morning that I want you to wrestle with. The title of our message, which I don't think I ever gave you, was that God speaks. God spoke to Moses in an unusual way through a burning bush. But the question this morning is very simple. What is God speaking to you about today? What has God been asking you to do that you're not willing to do? I don't always have a list for you, but I'm going to give you a list of maybe some possibilities that God could be asking you today. Maybe God's initiating. This is the first initiation and the first response. And God is saying, I want you to give your life to Jesus. And I would encourage you this morning, if, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, in a moment we're going to stand, we're going to have a time of worship, and we're going to sing one last song. And there's going to be several of us standing here at the front of the altar, and we're going to be facing you. And if you would like to, be, to give your life to Jesus today, walk up here this morning. And just say, I need Jesus. These people at the front would be glad to show you through Scripture how you can give your life to Jesus. Maybe this morning, God is asking you to break off that relationship. You know it's not healthy. We know it's not healthy. And you need to make the right decision. Maybe God is asking that this year as a family... You would put God in church first. Because in America, that, that, that's not the norm anymore. It's funny, last Sunday as we left the south coast, we drove our bus onto a ferry to cross the port there in Mombasa so we could get to the airport. I've made that crossing many times over the last 10 years. And you never know if it's going to be packed or just somewhat packed. But it's always packed. And this was Sunday. 
and it wasn't packed. And I asked the driver, I said, Kenneth, why isn't, why isn't it crowded today? He said, oh, everybody's gone over to Mombasa to church. And I thought, that's, that's not our culture in America anymore. Remember when everything used to stop for Sunday? And now, you know what our culture in, in Sunday morning is? It's sports. And, and, and I'm going to be really blunt. Maybe step on your toes this morning. I, I really don't care. We, we have allowed sports to be our God. And we're entering, you know, we, we have this small window where there's not too many winter sports going on in January. We're about to enter the baseball and soccer and all the other things. So maybe, maybe as a family, it's a commitment this year that God, church, and you are going to be a priority. Amen. Maybe you need to quit a job because you, you can't have church as your priority. Maybe it's putting God first in your finances. I was so encouraged last year when, when a, many of you took the 90-day challenge, I'm going to start tithing. That was awesome. But I'm pretty sure some of us didn't take that challenge. Maybe it's just to surrender to read God's word every day. Maybe it's for the students over here. You know, some of you are, are the age I was when, when I stood before the judge. And maybe it's to say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit hanging with these, these friends and I'm going to choose good friends. Can I, can I be completely honest with you this morning? Your parents are griping about the friends you're hanging out with. If they are, listen to them. And especially if your youth leaders agree with your parents. Because sometimes I know parents are a little, you know, over the top. I get it. Because the Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. Your friends, I promise, are the greatest influence in your life of anyone. So if your parents and your youth leaders say, hey, that kid's not good, guess what? They're right. I would have never stood before the judge if I had chose different friends. They probably would have never stood before the judge if they had chose different friends. As I walked in the church this morning, I'll be completely honest, I, I didn't have much emotions from my trip. I, I think somewhat I've I just been there enough that I kind of was able to just process, I thought, until I walked in here this morning. You know what my over, the overall heaviness in my heart right now is? Is that we as Americans, we as church-going Americans, are just way too apathetic. And it made me wonder this morning, when Moses was there for 40 years, was he like the American church? Was just comfortable? Has a family? Tending the sheep? What they're going through doesn't really impact me anymore. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for a moment.
And this morning, I, I, again, I, I want to just encourage you. I'm convinced that God is speaking to you right now. Through his word, maybe through the music we sing. And I'm just going to challenge you. Will you respond? Moses heard the voice of God and he said, here I am. This morning, if God is asking you to do something, I'm going to challenge you to, to walk forward today. Spend some time in prayer with the Lord and say yes. If you've never given your life to Christ, please understand God is actively pursuing you. It was not an accident that you're here today. God wanted you to hear this message that he knows, that he cares, and that he sees. God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the blessing it is to be here in this place to worship a God who loves us. Lord, forgive me in my own life for the apathy that creeps into my life, Lord. Forgive us as a church as we have sometimes let apathy creep into our own church. God, we ask that you would move in a way today that we could just, as a church, as a families, as individuals, as a faith community, just say, God, yes, I surrender. In the next few minutes, Lord, we ask that we could just worship, surrender our life to you. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. And if God has spoken to you, respond. Respond. That response may be different for some of us, but I'm just challenging you to respond as we sing this morning.